All right, a couple of things that you, we are all aware that this is an election year. Nobody's, that's not new news to anyone. This is new news to me. It came at 6.34 this morning. And it says, sorry for the late notice, there's a prayer walk being held in Marshall County at the courthouse, 4 o'clock p.m. I assume that means today. Uh, prayer before the election, prayer walks are being planned in each county in, st- in the state. Perhaps you will have some who would join here or, frankly, wherever they are. Thanks, Pastor Brian. That came from Pastor Brian Chanyal of the Evangelical Covenant Church in Warren. And so we just got that word this morning. Also, you will notice in our bulletin, this has been in for a couple of weeks. Regardless of who wins an election in two days in our country, Scripture exhorts us to pray for those in authority over us. And so we're going to do something where we simply say, okay, next Sunday night, for those who are willing to come, we are going to gather here and we're going to pray for our nation, just in response to that. And... um, we had a meeting here where we discussed a couple weeks ago just how do we approach this election because we all have questions. If we're thinking at all, we've got questions. And so we are going to have a post-election prayer meeting uh, next Sunday night on the 13th. So that's what's unfolding here relative to that. So I got to thinking in light of the fact that it's an election season and there are so many things going on. At election time, you hear a lot about polls. So I thought, let's start this morning by taking some polls. Okay, let's start this morning by taking some polls. Number one, how many of you are thankful for the breakfast and those who put it on and served us and the lunch and had a great time this morning? Are you thankful? Okay, hands up. All right, give them a big hand. Thank you. Thank you. How many of you are not grateful for this breakfast we had this morning? Oh, well, good. It looks like that was one thing that was 100%. All right. Another poll. A lot going on this week. All right. How many of you think that the Cubs winning the World Series is the coolest thing ever? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. And how many of you are just foolish? I want you to imagine something. For this last poll question, I want you to imagine a father who truly loves his son. His young son's about 16 years old, and he loves deer hunting. And he wanted to do something so that his son would continue to remember their times together as he has been blessed by bringing him out on the youth hunts, and, and now he's going to be old enough to be out on his own. And, and as he moves through this process, and what he thinks is would, be, would, would help his son get hold of the significance of their time together and the relationship that he's been trying to build. He goes out and he sacrifices big time in order to get his son a high-end deer rifle. And so he grabs the caliber that his son is looking for and he goes, look, and he goes, look, and he gets something and it's, the woodwork on it is magnificent. It's made of just highly refined, you know, action parts in there. You know what I'm talking about, right? Hunters, you get it. There are basic guns like I shoot and then there are, you can start spending a lot of money. So let's just say he went out and he sacrificed and he paid 10 grand between the, for the gun and the scope, getting it all put together. And he's so excited to share this gift of love with his son. And so he gives it to him at Christmas with great anticipation for what's going to happen next deer season when they spend time together. 
What he doesn't know is that his son has decided during the course of the year that his son has, has decided, well, it's just kind of an interesting toy. And so he takes it out with his friends, and they bang around in the woods with it, and they shoot at pop cans with it. And uh, it rains, and it rains on it, and he kind of leaves it lying around. And by the time it comes around to hunting season, the gun is rusted, the scope is broken, the action barely works. That's the story. What I'd like to ask you on the poll is, how many of you believe that the father would have a right to be disappointed, angry, maybe even thinking, I don't think I'm willing to give him another gun? How many of you think the father has that right to be disappointed and angry? when he sees how his son has completely, completely overlooked the value of this gun and what it meant to him. All right, good number of us, okay? How many of you also are being foolish and not willing to admit? We saw last week in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, And it it begins with this. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And all that we tried to point out last week is we are either going to give heed or we're going to give way. And what we meant by that was simply that if we do not actively make Christ a significant part in our life, the time will come when we're going to, not that we don't don't acknowledge him, but we kind of just drift right on past him where he no longer bears any real practical significance to us. And we can acknowledge, oh yeah, there was that time in my life when I kind of like doing the Jesus thing, but I'm past that now. And it'll happen to all of us if we do not actively engage. We will passively drift right on by the significance of who Jesus Christ is. In light of that, the writer to the Hebrews continue, continues on. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now in that few verses that we just read. Stovey, can I ask you to close this door? For some reason, that and the man cave door is open. Would you see if there's a reason for that? Just for air. Oh, I'm sorry. Just for air. <laughs> I'll give you plenty of air. It's all hot, but it's coming. Don't worry, people. I didn't realize they were trying to. It's just like, that's weird. Okay. Um, all right. So here we are. There's a hanging question in here. And I want to isolate the hanging question for our own thinking today by going in two different directions. First of all, let's just look at here's what was. As the writer to Hebrews throws this out there, here's what was. For the word spoken through angels proved steadfast. And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. The word steadfast comes, comes through with this idea of being truthful, stable, unshakable, that as the angels became messengers of God's word, they brought truth to man who was in darkness. And that truth was undeniable. 
It was something that you could bank eternity on. And they were justly rewarded in response to this truth that God saw to was revealed through the angels. Now, generally, when we think about this, just in a general terms, we might think of something like um, Sodom and Gomorrah, where the angels came, and they're told Abram what, he was going to, what they were going to do with him, what God had, not with they, but what God had intended for his life, magnificent things that were going to happen. And then they said, well, you know, we got other work to do while we're here. We're going to let Abraham know what we're doing, and they're going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, his nephew Lot is in there. And... Uh, they're going to bring this judgment because over there in Sodom and Gomorrah, these people have been ignoring the things of God. So in general terms, we can see that time and time again throughout the Old Testament where God brought judgment when his word was just dismissed, when his unshakable, reliable, steadfast word was dismissed as not very important. That's a general picture. But I think by the time we get done with this, I think what we'll see, there's something more specific. Because in Hebrews chapter 3, in verses 16 to 18, we read something that seems to identify more specifically. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And he seems to, I think we're going to see, at least in some specific way, what he's going to point out is that God was not real pleased with those who came out of Egypt, all this magnificent work that he had done, and then they dismiss him. And he allows them to wander for 40 years to consider the significance of of what has happened before bringing them into the promised land. In fact, all those aged 20 years and up, the reason it took 40 years, they're going to die. All except two in their families, Joshua and Caleb, who said, we can go in and we can take the land. See, because they wouldn't believe God when he said, go take the land. And they were like, no, we can't. We're grasshoppers in their eyes and and they're going to crush us. We can't do it. Let's go back to Egypt. And God was angry. He said, I'm ready to give you a good gift. So that's what was. Then, notice here's what is, and we're going to jump down just a little bit, and I want to pick it up in Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in the second part of verse 3. When he's speaking about salvation, he says, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. He now shifts the topic, not to what was happening under the Old Testament, but he shifts the topic to talk about the salvation that is available to us. And this salvation, he said, was first spoken by Christ himself. Now, he's just given us the entire first chapter, if you were with us for that series. We're not going back to redo it. But if you were with us for that series, you know in that entire first chapter, what he spent his whole time was doing what? Proving Christ is greater than the angels. Christ is greater than the angels. Now, it was the angels in the things that were, 
who brought a word of truth, and it was expected to be responded to. Now one who was greater than them, Christ has come. He began to bring this word of truth about the gospel, about God's work among his people. This one now who is greater than the angels has brought this message, and then it was confirmed. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. The word confirmed, I I just find it interesting. The root word there for confirmed is the same root word for steadfast in verse 2. So in both cases, we're being told, okay, first case, angels brought a word, it was steadfast. Christ, greater than angels, brought a word. It is confirmed or steadfast, just that it came from a much greater source. Well, how did God confirm that? How did God show that this is truth, that it is steadfast, that it can be believed, that it is to be believed, that God expects something to be believed? He says those who heard it were validated when they went and told it a second time. Because remember, Christ came, he spoke it, he lived and died it, but then he was off the earth. So where are we going to go now? He left the message in the hands of those who would receive it and those who followed him. And those who heard it were validated by signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, it won't show up on the screen, okay? But you guys are familiar very quickly If we go to the early part of the book of Acts and the birth of the church, we have these interesting things happening. First of all, the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, this is after Christ has has arisen. He's ascended back into heaven, and he told them, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, I should say. And then we read in chapter 2, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. We're talking about signs and wonders now that accompanied the proclamation of the gospel in the early days of the church. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. So we've got the wind... We've got the fire, tongues of fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now you have to understand, on this day, there were people gathered from many nations who came to Jerusalem at this time. So there were people who, were, who, came, who spoke different dialects, different languages that were native to them. And these people who were not trained in these other languages were gifted by the Holy Spirit of God to be able to proclaim the gospel in, la- in the native tongues of these people. And they were all wondering, how is it that we're hearing this message in our own language, which we can understand? Verse 22 in that chapter, Peter, in, his, in one of the first sermons in the church, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attended, attested to God, uh, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. And he again calls out, just like we had miracles, wonders, and signs when Jesus was here confirming his word, that's what you're seeing now. That same God who was at work in him is now at work in us because he has given this message for us. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, we, hear, we read the account of the man who was lame since birth. He's a beggar. And Peter and John bring healing to him. And everybody knew that he'd been begging there for years. 
And now he walks. He's leaping and jumping. And they're called to account for this. They said it was through Jesus Christ. That's how this happened. And it's a testing to the truth, the steadfastness, the stability of the message that they're bringing. That was the point of those miracles, signs, and wonders. And there's, these, these seem exciting and fun things, but don't forget, they're not always exciting and fun. Because when we get over to Acts chapter 5, we come to that account of Ananias and Sapphira, and God is doing a magnificent work in the church, and people are so aware as to this is the movement of God that they're selling their belongings, anticipating the soon return of Christ. They're selling their belongings, giving them to the apostles. They do with them what you will, but they are, they are together and they're engaged and they're going to they're impact the world. And their physical possessions mean nothing to them except for Ananias and Sapphira, who sold their belongings, but then they kept back part of it, which was fine for them to do, except they lied about it. And Peter questioned both of them individually and both of them lied individually. They had, they had conspired together to lie about what they were actually doing. And he says, man, how did you guys collude to lie to the Holy Spirit? Both of them died in judgment on the spot. Again, another miracle. That's a frightening miracle, but it happened. And we must not dismiss it. So there was this validation. Christ, greater than the angels, brought a word that was confirmed. It was as steadfast as the word the angels brought. How do we know that? He did signs and wonders, and then following him, those who took the message from there, uh, signs and wonders accompanied them to verify this word is true. This word is to be believed. This word is to be received. So what was and what is set up the comparison as the foundation for this hanging question we're considering. Can you see it there in the text? Have you seen it? We've read it. The hanging question nestled right in there is in verse 2, excuse me, verse 3, when Paul says, excuse me, we don't know the author to Hebrews. Forgive me for saying it that way. When the author says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Throws that question out there. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I call it a hanging question for this reason. He doesn't answer it directly or immediately. He just kind of throws it out there. In light of what was, in light of what is... How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, the word neglect carries with it this idea of failure to value. Treat, just dismiss something. Treat it as eh, not all that significant. Not care. Literally, that's what the word, the literally, if you break it down, again, one of these two-part words. The root word is care. The prefix to care is what's called an alpha privative. It means not or no or negative. In our language, it would be non or un. Okay? Not care. Don't care. Dismiss. Not that important to me. Sorry. Consider unimportant. He says, how shall we escape if we don't care about this thing that is... Uh, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And that carries this idea of... This is huge, people. 
This whole question of salvation is huge. And what God has given to us is enormous. It is immense. There is nothing that compares to it. And the question hangs out there, how are we going to escape if this huge thing that God has done on our behalf, that God has confirmed, that God is saying, listen up, everybody. This is the very focus of all redemptive history. And we go, eh, not that interested, thanks. What happens then? Which brings us back to our poll. To what degree we understand the father who is angry with his son for not respecting the significance and the value of this rifle that he sacrificed to give him to represent relationship with him. To whatever degree we understand the father's right. And many of us raised our hands and said, yeah, I get it. To be angry At least to that degree, we can understand that God is going to be disappointed and angry if we take this incredible gift and just go, I got better things to do, God, thanks. I don't really have time. I don't really have much interest in things like this. And I throw that out. So we, we started there. There was a point to the poll to get us to connect a little bit from an earthly perspective, something we might understand from a father with his son, we go, yeah, the, the, the dad's justified in, in, in something that isn't all that great with that son at that point. I throw that out there for this reason, friends, because it's just a hanging question right now. It actually will take a couple of chapters before we're done dealing with that question. I want to throw it out to remind us so that we're not offended by God's response to us if we so cavalierly dismiss the gospel, which is so much greater than anything else we have ever had. Right? Right? You get it? You see what I'm getting at? If we sit here today, we say, yeah, that whole Jesus thing, uh, it's kind of interesting, but I don't have much time for it. Thank you. It's not all that important to me. Thank you. Uh, the whole God thing, eh, what's the big deal? I got more important things in my life when God has sacrificed his son on our behalf. This so great salvation that there's never been anything given as a gift like it in all of time and space. And we dismiss it. I just want to, understand, I want to make sure we all leave here knowing and agreeing that if the father who's dis disappointed and angry with his son for abusing an earthly gift that was a sacrifice to him and ref reflected relationship that he wanted to have with him. We get it, don't we? That if we reject who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in a relationship with him, we get it, don't we? And we're, we're equally ready to say, yeah, Lord, I understand one day you may reject me I understand one day you're going to be really upset with me. I, I get it, Lord, and it'll be okay. It'll be all right. I get it. It's fine. You see, sometimes we have this opinion. We have this, we think, in our human wisdom, well, if God is love, he couldn't send anyone to hell. If God is love, he couldn't condemn anybody. If God is love, I'm just saying, hey, folks, let's bring it down to what we know. 
Okay? We pretty much are in agreement that the father with the gun and the son is it's like, yeah, I get that. Why do we think somehow God with a much greater gift is somehow to just go, oh, no big deal. No big deal. Giving my son in order to establish a relationship with you was way bigger than any gun, any gift any father ever gave to his son for, re- for the sake of relationship. But don't worry about it. It's fine. Why would we think that? I want to leave you with that question. That's the hanging question for today, friends. Why would we think that if we dismiss this great, incredible salvation that God offers to us so we have a relationship with him, why would we think that God somewhere down the line goes, oh, it was okay, it wasn't that big a deal anyway. It just cost me my son. It's a magnificent gift you offer us, Father. And it's a serious question we're left with. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Help us understand the seriousness of what we wrestle with this morning. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.